Well, it's great to see you this morning. Welcome. If this is your first time at Grace Point Church, we're glad to have you. If you weren't here last week, this is the finale of a two-part message that I entitled The Intersection. You know, that intersection between reason and faith. When we've got to make a decision, many times we find ourselves in the, at this intersection and we find that reason is telling us one thing and faith is telling us another. Maybe you believe that God is leading you to change careers. Or maybe you believe that God has called you to go on a global adventure. Or maybe to move your family. But reason tells you that that's not the smart thing to do. Or maybe you believe God's calling you to be a foster parent. Or maybe you feel God's urging to just go across the street and meet your neighbor. But reason tells you that's not something you, you should do. Last week, we talked about the fact that when it comes down to this decision between reason and faith, usually we come down on the side of reason. And we rarely consider what might have happened if we'd have chosen faith. And we looked at the Bible and what we saw was that the more faith people had, actually the more uncertainty they had. But as they grew in their faith, they were able to handle even more uncertainty. They came to know God better and God worked more powerfully through their lives. We started looking at the life of Peter when Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew to come follow him. And as, the, as we looked at the story last week, you know that Peter, I mean, Jesus was in, in their boat out in the Sea of Galilee. And he told them, he said, now I want you to, they hadn't caught anything all night. He said, I want you to put down your net on this side of the boat. And they followed the directions of a carpenter in a boat. And they pulled down, put down their net and it came up so full they couldn't even get all the fish in. And it was at that point that Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left everything to follow this carpenter, this itinerant rabbi, this unknown. So there was a lot of faith required for Peter and Andrew, James and John to, to follow Jesus at that point. And it certainly required them to embrace uncertainty. Now... Peter is pretty well known. There's a lot of Peter stories in the Bible, but he's probably best known for what? Walking on the water, right? So we're going to look at that story this morning. If you've got your Bibles in Matthew chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 22. And this is how it reads. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't, don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and says, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Why don't we step out in faith like Peter did? I mean, Paul said we, the, with Jesus followers, he said, we live by faith, not by sight. Well, if that's true, then why don't we step out in faith like Peter did? Could it be that we say we trust God, but in actuality, our, our actions indicate otherwise? I mean, why don't we step out in faith like Peter did when we're following Jesus? I believe the answer is as simple as it is obvious, and that is fear. Fear. And it's really a fear of the unknown, right? I mean, there's a difference between embracing uncertainty and facing your fear. Embracing uncertainty says, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust God that it's going to happen like he designed. Fear says, I think I know what might happen, and it scares me to death. And see, it's fear that cripples us, isn't it? Go on a global adventure? (laughs) I might get sick. I might find myself in an uncomfortable situation. And you know, that money that I spend on that trip, I might need that money later. Teach children or lead students in in a small group? I don't think I know enough. I might not be very good at it. Maybe connect to people in a, in a body life group. I don't know. I might have to be real and authentic. And they might hold me accountable. Share my God story with somebody. You've got to be kidding. There's a lot of things that might happen if I do that, right? And it's so easy to see a story from, to read a story from 2,000 years ago and fail to appreciate the fear factor. You know, when Peter was standing on the edge of that boat, he had to be scared to death. I mean, to my knowledge, he'd never seen anybody walk on water. And doubtless, he had seen a lot of things sink. So, It doesn't matter how courageous you are. You don't come face to face with the unknown without some sense of fear. And it's fear that keeps us from walking on water. It's fear that keeps us from being a mentor. It's fear that keeps us from becoming foster parents. And it's fear that keeps us from being honest with one another about our struggles, isn't it? It's fear that keeps us from admitting our addictions. It's fear that keeps us from taking that first step toward reconciling that relationship. And it's fear that keeps us from fully surrendering what God would have us do. But could it be that these these fear-laden situations are actually opportunities for us to experience a whole new dimension of God? See, I imagine that Peter, after he walked on the water, had a completely different understanding of who Jesus was than he did before. In fact, if you look at the end of the story, it says, they said, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I don't know who they thought 
Jesus was prior to that. But after they saw Peter walk on the water, they had a completely new understanding and saw new dimensions of who Jesus was. Could God use these, these tough decision points in our lives to, as a platform to reveal his power and his character to us? I want you to hear the story from Mindy Becker. Mindy's going to tell us about the last two and a half, three years of her life and how this idea of embracing uncertainty and facing fear and having faith played out in her life. Thank you for letting me share my story of how God called me to step out of the boat, per se. Um, To really understand it and appreciate it, you have to realize that I am that person that Randy described last week of um, that acts out of reason. Um, I do have lots of spreadsheets, and my husband makes fun of me for it. Um, My calendar is color-coded by category, and I like to know what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, and how all that is going to play out. Um, So when God called me in 2012, summer of 2012, just two years ago, um, to get out of my comfort zone in a big way, it was very challenging. Um, The first thing he did was called me to um, put some money down to go on a global adventure to Vietnam. I'd never been on a global adventure before. I'd actually never really even left the country as an adult before. And I had lots of reasons at that time not to do that. Um, My husband and I had been separated for six months at that point. um, And and I had filed for divorce just a couple weeks earlier, and we were not even speaking. Um, We have three kids together, and I had a very, very full career at that time and was just managing my household, all the financial responsibilities, my children. I was super, super busy. So the thought of trying to go out of the country for 10 days was not reasonable at all. Um, I'd never taken that much time off work. It was a big financial responsibility, and I just didn't know how any of that would work out. But there came a point when I realized God was telling me, put the money down, and I I really couldn't be disobedient anymore. So I did. Um, And from the moment I put it down, I felt pretty confident, comfortable. Okay, I've done it. Um, There's no turning back now. I have some skin in the game. Um, And the trip wasn't until right after Thanksgiving, and this was July. But shortly after that, he started calling me to do something that was a lot harder for me. Um, I realized that I had put a lot of my identity into what I did and what my career was for the last 12 years. Um, And God had started changing my heart a little bit. I really didn't know what that looked like. All I knew was I wasn't as satisfied with my career, and I felt like I wanted to do something a little bit more fulfilling, but I really wasn't sure what that was. Um, One day when I was working out at the gym, um, I just heard a real whisper of teach, and I just laughed out loud because I'm like, that will never, ever happen. Um, I'm not going to do that, and I just kind of dismissed that. But God kept bringing it up through my quiet time, through my reading, through circumstances of um, you you need to at least look into What would it take for you to to switch careers and become a teacher? So eventually I did. I started looking into it, and there's like a million ways to be a teacher. You have to know what you want to teach, who you want to teach, and it was just complicated. Um, But I I researched it out. And I got to the point where I realized, okay, I'd have to quit my job and go back to school and do an internship where I work for free for six months. And, I mean, none of that's going to happen at this place in my life, so that's where it stops. Um, so then I went to Vietnam on this trip. Um, I went halfway around the world, 12 hours ahead of time, I think, or 13. And it took me going there in a city of 10 million people 
to just be still and quiet and really hear what God was saying to me. And throughout that process, he, he, my heart changed. I realized, yes, this is, this is what you're supposed to do, and you are going to do it, and I am going to do it. Coming back um, to the United States after that and going back to work was really difficult because my fire was just gone. It was just gone. I didn't want to be there anymore. I knew I was not doing what I was called to do. December 28th, everything changed. Um, my company reorganized, and a stranger that I'd never met came and told me my job was over and watched me pack up my desk and walk me off the property. That was really hard for me because I am a control person. I like to make the decision of, no, wait. I wanted to decide when I left, how I left, how this was going to go down, and none of that was happening. And I remember calling my dad on the phone just crying and being like, I'm so hurt and I'm so scared. I, I, don't, I don't know how any of this is going to work. And my dad is very much like me, only probably more reasonable than I am. And I just remember him saying, do you remember two weeks ago when we were talking in your driveway and you said, God's called me to teach, but I don't know how any of this is going to happen. And he just reminded me, like, God's, God's opening the door for you. You just, have to, you just have to step out and do it. And that's, that's easier said than done. But I, but I did, and I went back to school. Seven days later, I started at the U of A and joined a bunch of college kids for classes that, I mean, it was really odd <laughs> for a 34-year-old to be back with a bunch of college kids, but I did. The next 18 months was really tough. Um, it was so exciting, but so tough at the same time. My family did come back together, and my husband was very supportive of this journey, but let's face it, I mean, I went from a great career to incurring college debt and not having um, finances there for me. But God provided. He continued to provide. And I graduated this May and thought, okay, here I am. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to call me to do. Um, I interviewed for four jobs and didn't even get a call back or email or anything for them. And that was, again, felt very rejecting because I'm like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm doing what you called me to do. <laughs> um, in the middle of the summer, I went to Cambodia, and that was amazing. It was scary at the same time because God threw me another curveball. I thought I was going to Cambodia, and then suddenly I was leading the trip to Cambodia, which I'd never done before. Um, but God used that ag again take me to a place where I would be still and quiet and listen to him. And so when I came back from Cambodia, just a few days later, I got a call went to an interview, pretty much broke every interviewing rule as far as what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to act. And I just, I just laid it on the line. I'm like, look, God's called me to do this. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just know he's given me this calling and I have to be obedient. And after I left, I thought, I will never, ever hear from them again. <laughs> and before I even got home, I got a call like, we want you. And I'm like, really? Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm starting in like two weeks this job and I'm terrified because it's, not the place I thought I'd be teaching, not the subject I thought I'd be teaching, and not the age group of kids that I thought I'd be teaching. So this isn't the end of the story for me, and this fear, stepping out in fear, this is really just the start of another chapter. Um, but I hope maybe you can find some encouragement in this. Um, I've been hanging out in Esther for the last couple of months, and there's this verse that um, probably everybody knows. It's something like this, where Mordecai tells Esther when, when the Jews are set to be destroyed, and she's fearful. She's like, I cannot go talk to the king because the sentence for that is death. And he says something like, maybe you're put in this position for just this reason. 
And I'm not in a position of high rank, and probably a lot of people here aren't. But I think wherever you are, God's got you there for a reason. And you have to grasp that with this wild faith and just run with it and be like, I'm going to answer that call, even if it costs me a lot. So thank you. Thank you, Mindy. What she doesn't know is that I was actually going to tell the story of Esther today. And if you know the story of Esther, Mordecai says, who knows, but maybe you were put in this position for such a time as this. You know, we want money back guarantees before we step out on faith, don't we? But there's a problem with money back guarantees because they completely take faith out of the equation. You know, there's no such thing as risk-free faith. If there's no risk, there's really no faith, is there? And see, a lot of us want God to put the odds in our favor. In fact, we ask God, he said, would you reduce the risk for us? I'm afraid that many of us pray as if God's primary objective is to put the odds in our favor. If you did an honest assessment of your prayer life, I think you'd be amazed at the percentage of prayers that revolve around risk reduction. Have you ever prayed, God, put me in a boat, in a sinking boat, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm? Well, no. I mean, why would anybody pray that, right? And I'm not suggesting that we should put God to the test like that. But what I am suggesting is that my experience is that God works most powerfully in us when we're outside of our comfort zone. That's why when when people come back from global adventures, they're on a spiritual high because they've experienced a new dimension of God. Don't make the mistake of assuming that God is going to lead you to the easy, to the comfortable to the safe. F.B. Meyer said this, unbelief puts our circumstance between us and God, but faith puts God between us and our circumstances. What a great quote. You know, last week, if you were here, you heard my story about how I came to Grace Point over the last two and a half years or so. You heard that story. What you may not realize is that if that's the only part of my story you know, you may not be aware that, that this, speaking to a room full of people on a Sunday morning, is not very natural for me. It is not easy for me. You don't have to go very far back in my story to see that I'm one of the most unlikely people to be standing in this position on a Sunday morning. And it's not because I have some sordid past. It's because it was never on my radar. Less than 15 years ago, I was sitting in an adult Sunday school class in in First Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I was just minding my own business. And the teacher, Scott Stow, came up to me after class and he says, Randy, I think think you need to be leading an adult Sunday school class. Now, I'd subbed in for him a couple of times, but really, I said, there's a big difference between that and what you're asking me to do. Come on. But I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, okay. Sure. And we went through the process. He said, now, listen, 
there's a, there's a guy that has a class that's kind of grown really big and they're going to divide it into thirds. He's going to take one third and they've got two new teachers, the other guy and you, and you're each going to take a third of this class. And, and so the day came when we were going to be introduced to that class prior to the next Sunday was going to be the first Sunday of the, of the, of the class that I was going to lead. And I remember it like it was this morning. We're walking toward the class, and the, and the teacher was going to introduce us. The, the primary teacher was first, and then the new guy, number one, and then me. And it was a it was an old building. It was a very narrow hallway, so we had to walk in single file. And I thought, what have I got myself into? What was I thinking? And I felt like I was walking the green mile to the death chamber. If there had been a line on the floor, I would have said, I would have known. This is, this is it. In fact, I remember... Walking past the door and I looked out and I thought, the birds are singing. The sun is out. There's grass growing. I could just, I could just freedom. I could just duck out of this, this door right now and be gone. They wouldn't realize it until they got to the classroom and they turn around. I wasn't there. Yeah, I might have to change churches, you know, and I, or I might even have to move out of the state, but it would be so worth it to be the free as opposed to be leading this, this class. Well, I didn't duck out the door, and I, so I kept going. And at the end of the story, you need to know that I, I taught adult Sunday school class for 12 years, a uh, number of classes. In fact, the last 10 years, I, I was leading young marrieds. It was a time of great growth for me, a lot of growth in my faith. It was a time of great fulfillment and satisfaction for me. It was great for me to see the, have the opportunity to see people grow in their faith and, and mature in their faith. But here's the point. You don't want to face fear just so you can thumb your nose at fear. That's not the objective. You want to face fear when you're following God. Because if you do that, you'll have the opportunity to be part of some amazing things. Just a couple of months ago, I got a call from a young lady that was in one of the last classes uh, that I led. I hadn't talked to her in months. And she called me to tell me, that uh, her father had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And she said, you remember, you remember us praying for him? And I said, yeah, I, I remember that. She said, well, I want to tell you what a difference our class made in my life in how the things that I learned and the confidence it gave me. She said, you remember us praying that, you know, because he's not a believer. She said, I want to tell you, and she had, she had tears in her voice. She said... I want to tell you, I got to lead my dad to Jesus last night. And oh, by the way, my mom too. Two weeks later, her dad was dead. Why do I tell you that story? What an honor. What a privilege it was for me to be part of that story. And it never would have happened if I'd have ducked out of the door that day I was walking the green mile. It never would have happened. I wouldn't be at Grace Point today if I'd have ducked out that door. See, the greatest victories can be just on the other side of fear. Last week we talked about the fact that many Christians believe that that, that faith should reduce uncertainty, should reduce fear, should make our lives more secure. But we looked and we, we saw that the Bible really teaches that living by faith doesn't reduce 
uncertainty. Because Jesus is going to call us to do things and to go places that defy reason. Faith is going to put us in places where our circumstances don't make a lot of sense. Why? It's because it's in those circumstances that we have we require total reliance on God. And it's in those circumstances that he reveals himself. Now, I recognize that this is not a message that plays well in the American church, in American Christianity, where preachers promise health and wealth and success. But I challenge you to find one person in Scripture that was used by God that didn't experience a great deal of uncertainty and fear. Because I can't find one. I think of Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac, Gideon, Ruth, Esther, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Paul, John the Baptist, every disciple. They all had a degree of uncertainty and faith in their walk with God. Max Lucado said this. He said, at the beginning of every act of faith, there's often a seed of fear. For great acts of faith are seldom born out of calm calculation. So how can we face the fear? How can we have the faith to walk on water? I believe it begins with our perspective. And Lucado had another quote. This is not Max Lucado Day at Grace Point, but he had another quote in a recent book that he wrote that said in the book, Fearless, Imagine Your Life Without Fear. He said, feed your faith and your fears will starve. I had that backward. Feed your fears and your faith will starve. Feed your faith and your fears will. See, I'm convinced that a lot of our problems are perceptual. See, our problems look really big if our God is really small. And if you have a small God, you're going to do small things. And if you have a small God, you're going to run away from the things that scare you. But what if our arguments against taking risks like Peter did are deeply rooted in our small perspective of God? See, if you have a big God, he's going to do big things. And he can do big things through you and make a big difference in people's lives through you. See, Peter's God was bigger than the waves. Peter's God was bigger than the storm. Peter's God was bigger than the whole Sea of Galilee. And because Peter's God was that big, the situation was just an opportunity for his big God to showcase his big power. Now, it's easy to criticize the water walkers from the safe confines of the boat. But I think the other disciples were haunted by this missed opportunity. I mean, just think, they could have walked on water. But they chose to stay in the boat. And they missed a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If we let fear win, we're left to wonder what our lives might have been like if we just seized the opportunity. If we let fear win, we're, we're wondering, what if I'd have stepped out on faith? Now, what are your images of a country like India? 
Have any of y'all seen Slumdog Millionaire? If you have, then you know that's what India's like. I've been to India eight or nine times, and let me tell you, they didn't have to exaggerate anything or, or use any hyperbole in making that movie. That is the India that I recognize. Some of those images are real. I've seen things in India that I can't unsee. The river Ganges, dead bodies, funeral pyres, cremation. These bodies are wrapped in orange shrouds before they're cremated. And then after they're cremated, that's the day of their death, I might point out, because they don't embalm. They take those orange shrouds and throw them off toward the, to, toward the river Ganges. If I'd let my fear of seeing these images win, I never would have gone to India. If I never would have gone to India, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to hear true stories of miraculous healings. I talked to a young lady that, whose father had been paralyzed for several years from the waist down. And they had been to the local witch doctor. They had been to the real doctors. They had tried everything from incense and incantation and whatever the, the Hindu gods required, and nothing had worked. She and her father were invited to a house church in a nearby village. They went. These believers prayed for her father. And within weeks, he was walking. If I'd never gone to India, I wouldn't have seen a courtyard of 75 to 100 people in the middle of nowhere praising the God of creation. If I hadn't gone to India, I would never have met a self-proclaimed Satan worshiper turned God, Jesus follower. Now, would these things have still happened? Sure. But my faith would have been so much poorer for it. I can identify with Peter who wrote in 2 Peter 1.16, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about this coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. I'm not making up these stories. I took those pictures. These are not cleverly devised stories. Peter said, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I say this in all humility. I have been an eyewitness of his majesty. And so have a lot of you. When you step out on faith, you never know what you're going to see. So where does fear come from? It doesn't come from God. How do I know that? Second Peter, or Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And in the seat backs in front of you, hopefully there's, there's some of these cards with just that verse on them. And you're welcome to get in the first hour. I got a bunch of them. If you don't, there's going to be some on the way out for you to get. But I, I want you to have this. It says, what does faith require of you? And then it has that verse. And you can put it in your Bible. You can put it on your mirror. You can put it in your car to remind you when you're fearful, it's not God that put that fear there. So where does fear come from? It comes from Satan. Satan wants to scare the living daylights out of you. 
That's a phrase my grandmother used to say, and I don't understand it any better now than I did then, but it sure sounds terrifying, that he, he wants to scare the living daylights out of you. And he basically has two tactics. The first is to remind you of your potential failure. And he just uses your natural fear to do that. That thing that you dread that might happen, that thing you dread most. And all of us have fears like that, don't we? There's something, and it may be flashing through your mind right now, there's something that is the worst possible outcome. There's something that might happen if you totally surrender to God that you just dread. And you're afraid of it. But there's something that most of us fail to realize is that water walkers don't run away from what scares them. Water walkers know that the greatest spiritual breakthroughs in our lives can come when we push through those fears. Now, Peter was the only man to ever walk on water. And I don't think it's coincidence that Peter became one of Jesus' closest disciples. It was Peter who was the first one to publicly acknowledge that Jesus was the promised Messiah. You can read about it in Mark chapter 8. Peter was one of three people that Jesus invited to, to witness the supernatural transfiguration that you can read about in Matthew 17. It was Peter that healed people, Peter that raised people from the dead. And it's not coincidence. I don't believe that it was Peter that got the opportunity to do those things. And it was Peter that stepped out on faith and walked on water. But I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that it was also Peter that denied Jesus three times. And that's the other tactic that, that Satan will use. Not only will he remind you of your potential failure, but he's going to remind you of your worst failure. And he's going to try to put as much discouragement as he possibly can in your life. He wants you to wallow around in your previous failures so that, the, that you spend the rest of your life not doing what God's called you to do. And Satan will remind you of those failures over and over and over again. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt after all he and Jesus been, had been through? Can you imagine how Peter must have felt when the last words that he spoke of Jesus before he died were those of denial? You may know the story in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is arrested and Peter and, and another disciple, presumably John, were following at a close distance and they came to the courtyard to hear this trial. And the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court led by the high priest, pronounces a death sentence on Jesus. And somewhere in this process, a young girl comes to Peter and she was a servant of the high priest that had just pronounced the death sentence on my dad. And she says, you were with that Nazarene, Jesus. And Peter said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But he quickly moved to the other side of the courtyard. And another girl comes up to him and says, you're from Galilee. You're one of them. And he said, no, 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 no. You, you have it all wrong. It's not me. And a little while later, somebody come up, came up to him and said, this guy was one of them. 
And this time, Peter not only denied it, he swore and he cursed. And he said, I tell you, I never knew the man. And at that point, the rooster crowed. And Luke tells us that across the courtyard, Peter and Jesus' eyes met. And Peter ran out of the room weeping bitterly. And Jesus was led to be crucified. And the last thing that Peter remembers his Lord, his Lord hearing from him was that he had denied and swore that he didn't even know him. It was a fail. It was a fail of epic proportions. But after Jesus' death, only four chapters later in John 21, Jesus has, has risen, but they haven't seen him in a while. And it says that, that Peter and, and six of the other disciples, they go back to what they've always known, what they're familiar with. They go back to fishing. And they're there and they're fishing like, they, like they'd always done. And Scripture tells us that they fished all night and didn't catch anything. And then in John 21, verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He says, Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Do you not think they had a flashback at that moment? The flashback to three years earlier when Jesus had called them all from the Sea of Galilee. When I told you the story about how they brought up the catch of fish after he said, put down your nets. Do you not think that this was a flashback to that moment? In fact, John said, hey, it's the Lord. Peter, if you read the story, Peter jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to the shore. A few verses later, it says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Scripture says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's going on here? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? See, Jesus was showing Peter that he'd forgiven him. He'd shown that he loved him. I have two takeaways from that story. One is, yes, Peter failed. Yes, Peter failed. But Jesus restored him. The second takeaway is that, yes, even after Peter failed, Jesus was not ashamed to be identified with him. I think one of the most paralyzing mistakes we make is thinking that our past failures will keep God from using us. Is there something that you've experienced in your life, something that, that you have let Satan convince you will keep you from being effective for God? You might say, if they knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me. If they knew this about me, it would nullify my God story. 
may I suggest that it may be that very thing that you think is keeping you from being used by God, it may be that very thing that provides a connection and allows somebody to identify with your story in your life and provides a connection that may lead them to God. I don't know what God's calling you to do. You have an idea. I don't. Whether it's mentoring or starting a business or becoming foster parents or teaching children or students or maybe connecting in a body life group. I don't know what it is. But what I know is you can't take fear out of the equation. And so the question is, is God greater than your biggest fear? Is God greater than your biggest problem? Is your God greater than your worst failure? Because that's the difference between living a life of faith and living a life of fear. See, my encouragement to you is to step out on the water. Face your fears and see what story God writes with your life. I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads and I'm going to ask that nobody be leaving or moving around during this time. This is a time for people to do, do business with God. I don't know what God's calling you to do. You know. You don't need me standing up here to tell you what God's calling you to do. And it may be that big thing that God's calling you to do, you know, to change careers. It may be that small thing that God's calling you to do that seems big, to introduce yourself to your neighbors and say, hey, would you go to church with me? Can I tell you my God story? I have no idea what God's calling you to do, but you know. And you might think, well, if I totally surrender to God, He might call me to go live in the Congo. And He might. My experience is that it comes in baby steps. And by the time God calls you to Live in the Congo, you'll, you'll be glad to say yes. And so my encouragement to you is to take the next step. Be obedient to what God has spoken to you about today. Face your fears and see what God can do with your life.